0: One, two, three. Oh, I love it. I love it. Here's the title of the message, part four How to Live Long and Prosper. Andy Trekkie's in the house today. Okay. Uh, I don't know why this is taking a Trekkie theme, because last week the message th- title was How to Boldly Go Where You've Never Been Before. And then today it's How to Live Long and Prosper. I don't know, maybe I'm just in the mood for some Star Trek. Maybe I'll watch it after service today. Uh, So (laughs) Psalm 23, verse six is gonna be where the verse, the only passage that we're looking at, really studying in depth today. We'll take a look at other passages, but that's the one we're gonna really dig into. I want you to stand with me because I'm gonna put you to the test today. All right, last week I was down in the Apollo Beach location in Florida. I gotta be honest with you, they really recited the Psalm very, very well. They did a fantastic job. I started it off, they finished it. But I believe that you're more spiritual than them. hmm I-, I believe you're going to heaven before the Floridians every day. Amen. When Jesus comes back, he's coming for the cold northeasterners first. Because we believed in spite of the snow and darkness. Praise Jesus. Well, probably not going to happen. I'm just kidding. But anyway, let's uh, recite this psalm together as we approach the word of God. I'm going to start it, and then you carry it forward. Ready? The Lord is my shepherd. I down, you green pastures. he leads me besides the waters, he restores my soul, he leads me in paths, even though I walk through the path. For you, you, yeah. you prepare a table before me in the presence Surely, I was wondering, were you cheating? Was that scrolling up on that? That's very good. Fantastic. Thank you. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your shepherding. Thank you for the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, your son, who died and lives so that we might live. I pray, Father, that our hearts are receptive and our minds are alert and our ears are open to hear what you want to say and help us to see Jesus, Him and Him only. In His mighty name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Have a seat. So a little bit of a series recap because this is the end and I always want to tie it all together, bundle it up, put a bow on it. The first two verses of Psalm 23 are talking about the provision of the Lord. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. The Lord provides Somebody say provision. And then those next few verses are, are talking about the direction of the Lord, that he leads me in paths of righteousness. Well, first off, he restores my soul. it brings me back. He's never going to let me wander too far. He's always going to bring me back. How many of you are thankful that God always brings you back? Someone thought, some of you thought you brought you back, but I'm here to tell you Jesus brought you back. Amen. And uh, so that's talking about the direction of the Lord. So protection—I'm provision and then direction. Somebody say direction. And then he talks about going through the valley of the shadow of death, fear no evil, and staff, cover me, all that kind of stuff. And that's talking about the fact that the Lord is packing heat. The Lord is going to make sure that you're protected. So somebody say protection. Provision, direction, protection. Here's the last verse we're looking at, Psalms 23:6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And here's the final thought about this passage, Psalm 23. It's about the destination of the Lord's sheep. Somebody say destination. So in Christ Jesus, and the leadership of the good shepherd, we have provision, we have direction, we have protection, and we have a final ultimate destination. How comforting it is to know that our lives do not end up in no man's land. How wonderful it is to know that, that this life is not the end. Okay, because I know a lot of Americans have a great life, but there's a lot of believers around the world that have suffered and struggled and been tortured and hurt for the cause of Christ. And the good news is, is that they can get through all that because they know that ultimately there's a blessed home awaiting for them in heaven because of Jesus Christ. And I wanna tell all of you guys that your life is gonna end up great if you are in Christ Jesus. Yeah, you got a promise ahead of you a promise of goodness, a promise of peace and security, a promise that all this world will one day be a shadow. It'll one day be a bad dream or maybe a moderately bad dream. You're gonna wake up in the presence of the Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord. When I go to a Christian funeral and I know that the person is a, is a Christian and a lover of Jesus, I don't weep only. I'm rejoicing because I know that they are in the presence of Jesus Christ and they are living amongst the saints for all eternity. And here's the deal you have got to start thinking about something that you might not think about much. Because in this present age in which we live, we are the minute-by-minute generation. We are the pull-down-and-scroll generation. We are the Facebook generation. We are the social media generation. We are the outrage generation, the cancellation generation, and all the stuff about what somebody did at some point in their life, we're going to hold them accountable for the rest of eternity. And I think this is the best news that I can offer you, is that whatever anybody says about you down here has nothing to do with what God says about you up there. He's He's got the final word on your life. Come on, that's good news for Joe Rogan this weekend. All right, amen. But it's even better news for you, praise God. It's better news for the people of the living God. And I want to talk to you about that destination. I want to talk to you about something that you don't think about much, again, because we're in a minute-by-minute uh, culture. And that is your legacy. Somebody say legacy. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're leaving a legacy. Yeah, 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 yeah. okay. Okay, stop. Shouldn't take it that long. <laughs> you're leaving a legacy, whether you realize it or not. And one day you're going to have a funeral. And it's going to be yours. And they're going to say some nice things about you. And people are going to show up because they loved you. They appreciated you. And I don't know about you, but when I get to that point where it's my funeral, I want people to be sad and glad. Amen? Amen? Like there's three options for attending a funeral. You're either sad because you know they're lost and eternity awaits, or you're glad because you're finally rid of them. (laughs) Or you're sad and glad because although you lost them, you know that they're not dead, they're alive with the presence of the Lord. I want everybody sad and glad. I want them singing and crying at the same time. You know what I'm saying? Because I want my life to outlive me for the glory of Jesus. And that's what I'm talking about when it comes to legacy. You are presently leaving a legacy, whether you realize it or not. And I'm not even talking about necessarily having children. I'm talking about the impact that you have on other people's lives. And everybody in here and everybody watching, listen to me, you have a chance to make an impact on other people's lives every single day. And I believe that when we know that the Lord is our shepherd, I believe that we're gonna leave a positive, life-giving impact on the world. Why, because we're not gonna get all down in the dumps and stay there forever and be miserable, because we know the Lord is our shepherd. And we're not gonna be angry at the world and mad at everybody because you know, life's unfair and we have suffered injustices, because we know that the Lord is coming and he's gonna balance all the scales of wickedness and he's gonna bring justice to the earth. And we're not gonna complain and moan our way to the grave because we know that in all things, God is working for our good. And our legacy will leave an impact of positivity on the people that we come in contact with every single day of our lives. I want you to aim to heaven, to aim at heaven and know that God is gonna bring a little touch of heaven to earth through your life. Sound like a good plan? And this is what God wants to do for you. And everybody has a legacy, and I'm gonna prove to you that everybody has a legacy. And this really will only apply to maybe some young parents if you've had children or if you're about to have children. Here's what you go through when you have children as a parent when the wife gets pregnant um, and the baby's growing in the womb there's always that discussion about what are we going to call this child and you find out the gender and you're like okay it's a boy so we're going to call him and then you throw the names out you ever do this you throw the names out here's we're going to call him Peter and if the guy's smart to it he's like a hey, second wait a sec did you have a boyfriend named Peter <laughs> we're not naming my kid after your ex-boyfriend what's up with that or he says, Oh, so a girl. And he says, oh, I like the name Louise. And she's like, I hate Louise. She was my roommate in college. I can't stand that woman. No, oh, we're not naming that child Louise. And if your name is Peter or Louise today, I'm sorry. But let's stay with me for a second. The fact of the matter is that everybody's name leaves a legacy. Everybody's name leaves an impact beyond just that word. Right? That's, that's what I'm talking about. Now, Interesting thing about what Philip Keller talks about in this book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Again, it's written by a Middle Eastern shepherd who actually watched over physical sheep uh, about 100 years ago, or a little bit less than 100 years ago. And uh, he talks about a lot of things that the sheep don't have going for them, right? And we've talked about it in this series. Like in part one, we talked about the, the sheep... Uh, they don't really find their own food or they'll eat the wrong food. In, in part two, we talked about that they need constant direction because sheep are stupid. Sheep are dumb, they're morons. They'll, 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 they'll just walk off a cliff eating grass, not realizing that they're walking to their own death. And, and then in, in part three, we talked about that we need protection because sheep do not have talons, they don't have claws, they don't have jaws, they can't fight off or ward off predators on their own. They need they need a shepherd to do that for them. And so we talked about the rod and the staff of the shepherd. And so all of these things so far, according to Philip Keller. All these things basically paint a very weak, uh, dependent picture of sheep. And isn't it comforting to know that the Bible constantly refers to us as sheep? (laughs) We're defenseless, we're stupid, and we'll walk off cliffs if we want to, right? That's what we are. We need a shepherd, we need somebody to watch over us. We need the good shepherd. But if you get to the end of the book and if you've read it already, you know what I'm talking about. There is one incredible benefit to sheep. They actually do have something going for them that sets them above all the other members of the, of the, of the, um, of the animal kingdom, especially of livestock. And it's kind of funny what it is. And Philip Keller tells us that they have the best poop on the planet. (laughs) They've got award-winning manure coming out of them. That's That's what sheep offer. And he says what they do is they graze in the lowlands, but they're always attracted to the highlands. Man, that's a lot like people, aren't they? They graze in the lowlands, and they'll eat. And here's what he says. Nutrients run down the mountains, off the cliffs, into the lowlands. Here's what sheep do. They eat the grass that's been, lur- that's been nourished by the nutrients that have flowed down the mountains. And then, because they're attracted to the highlands, they'll gladly follow the shepherd up to the top of the mountain, and then they'll deposit their manure on the highlands, and it becomes this amazing cycle where what they do is they transport from the, from the lowlands the nutrients back up to the highlands, and they provide nutrients where there otherwise wouldn't be nutrients. What a picture of what we can do as God's sheep. Here's what I mean. Some of you are in the lowlands right now. You're going through the shadows. You're going through the valleys. You're in the midst of the struggle. Can I tell you? Hold on for what God is doing in the midst of that darkness. Hold on for the sh- through the shadows because you're not, as I said last week, you're not walking to the valley of the shadow of death. You're walking through the valley of the shadow of death and God is going to put stuff in you that you're going to bring up with you to the highlands and you're going to deposit on the high places of this world goodness and mercy and people will be glad that you Came by because you left it better than the way you found it. And I believe this is the promise, but you know, life is life. And it's hard to have that perspective. And so I'm going to hopefully do this for you today. Here's what Philip Keller talks about in the book. He says this let's put this quote up Sheep can, under mismanagement, be the most destructive livestock. In short order, they can ruin and ravage land almost beyond remedy. But In bold contrast, they can, on the other hand, be the most beneficial of all livestock. What's those last three words? If properly managed. In other words, if you've got a shepherd that's going to watch over you and manage your life, you're going to leave this world better than you found it. Can I tell you that? That's my prayer for every person at Waters Church, at every location. I want you to leave wherever you are better than the way you found it. I want you to leave the job better than the way you found it. I want you to leave the family better than the way you found it. I want you to leave, you know, society, your town, your neighborhood, right? I want people to be glad and sad that you're gone. Like, glad that you were there, but sad that you're gone because, because you brought something this world desperately needs. As, as Jesus says, you, you Christians, you followers of mine, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world, and you are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, and, and the world should should be glad that Christians are around. Can I get a good amen right there? But Again, life is life, and you're gonna go through some stuff. And so I'm gonna give you three tips, three points, three, three ideas on how to make sure that what you deposit leaves people sad and glad. You leave a legacy of God's goodness in life. Okay, here we go. Number one, focus on the shepherd, not, the, not, the, not success success. Focus on the shepherd, not success. Write that down. Nothing has been asked of us in this psalm. If you get your psalm out there, if you get that passage out, do you see one command from God in this psalm? No, this psalm is not about what you do, it's about what the Lord does for you. The only thing by implication that we can say that this psalm is asking you to do is keep following the shepherd. That's it. Focus, somebody say focus Focus. on the shepherd not success. You might want to write this down next to that note. Next to that point, is there's nowhere to fill in blanks. Seek the shepherd not success. Here's why. Because look what it says. If we follow the shepherd, if the Lord is our shepherd, verse 6, the first part. Surely, somebody say, surely. Surely goodness and mercy shall. What's the next word? Circle follow on your paper notes if you've got paper notes. Follow me. The word follow in Hebrew is radaf. And the Old Testament, originally written in Hebrew, not English, right? So what you do to study the Bible is you take the word in Hebrew and you look up where else is that translated in the Bible and into what English word is it translated. And so as I searched radaf in the Bible, the most often word that radaf is translated into is the word pursue. that word in place of follow because it's not this idea of goodness and mercy just kind of trickles into your life no goodness and mercy pursues you another translation has it hunts you down Oh, I love that, to think about the fact that your focus does not have to be on getting goodness and mercy. Your focus has to be on following the shepherd who makes it certain that goodness and mercy will come after you. It'll hunt you down, it'll pursue you, and you won't be able to get away from it because that's what happens when you make Jesus the Lord of your life. What follows you is goodness. What follows you is mercy but you've got to make the shepherd, not success, your focus. say, why do you say that, Pastor? Because here's the thing, and I want you to write this down. Sometimes a good thing can become a God thing. Sometimes a good thing can become an all-consuming thing. Christians are famous for avoiding the big three sins, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That'll really wreck your life. And it will. Not so much about rock and roll, but sex and drugs for sure. Okay. Anyway, we also have to realize that sometimes very good things can ruin our lives. Are you you tracking here? Sometimes we make our lives all about an income statement. If I just make a little bit more money, if I just make a little bit more money. And the scripture says in Ecclesiastes, whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. And that's you. You've just taken a good thing, income, and turned it into a God thing because you have measured your life. The success, the value, the substance, the significance of your life is all about digits on a check or on a direct deposit. And that's what makes you, you. You might be there if you're comparing your income to your brother or your sister. You're comparing your lifestyle to your neighbor. You you compare square footage of your house to their house. Or you think, oh, they got that degree, but I got this degree. They go to that college, but I go to this college. And you know something? College is a good thing. Houses are a good thing. Square footage is a good thing. Income statements are a good thing but they can become gods in our lives. They can become the source of our significance, the source of our value, the thing that we think makes us us, and and, and the security blanket around us. Like everybody needs a security blanket. And some of you have taken off the security blanket of Christ to pursue the things of this world that are always and forever temporary at best. So so I, I think about some of you young people, and listen to me, single people, Pay attention here because you are making a mistake in your mind sometimes about finding a spouse. Oh, if I just find someone to marry. And you might even be coming to church. Not for Jesus' sake, but for marriage's sake. You're out here. This is Christian Tinder for you. That's what you're doing right now. You're swiping left, swiping right, as I push. You're not even listening to me right now. You're just looking at the, oh, she's pretty cute. I'm going to talk to her after service. Oh, he, she's not so cute. I'm not going to talk to her. Swipe left, swipe right, swipe right. I mean, you're just being a pagan. And here's what you've done. You've set up, you've set up someone, some imaginary person, you know, especially Christians do this all the time. Not Christians, not so much, but Christians do this all the time. If I just marry a Christian, my life will be wonderful. And you people, I always meet you at the altar. I always meet you at the altar. I can see you coming from a mile away. And I try to tell you this before the marriage, and I try to tell you this at the altar, and you don't listen to me because you think you've arrived at the altar and all of heaven has finally met you here on earth, but you don't know that hell is just a honeymoon away. And I try to tell you, I try, I've try. i done it, I'm so exhausted as you stand there looking all dreamy-eyed into each other's eyes, and I'm like, guys, it's not always gonna be like that. And you're always like, ah, shut up, just get us married, let's go. <laughs> I had a lady in this church, young girl, she grew up in this church, and she went from boyfriend to boyfriend to boyfriend looking for a Christian, Christian, Christian husband, Christian husband, Christian husband. You know what happened? She ended up getting a Christian husband. And she forgot that when you meet a Christian, you are meeting someone who knows that they are jacked up. That's what makes them Christian, right? People who think they're good don't become Christians. It's the people who know they're bad. Do the math, you know what I'm saying? Oh, Christians are so awful. Yes, they are. The difference between you and a Christian is that the Christian knows they're awful. That's the difference, okay? They know they need forgiveness. They know they need grace. They know they need the death of a Nazarene carpenter from 2,000 years ago to forgive them of all their sins. And so she woke up, dreamy-eyed at the altar, woke up, hell, and they went through hell. And I'll never forget, and they came back and they got ministered to, and they're, on their, they're back on the right track, but I'll never forget, she came to me. She came to me after Christmas Eve services, and she's right over there. She said, Pastor, I realized that I made the idea of a Christian husband God. And then she said these words, and only God can be God. I was like, bless you, sister. That's true. Only God can be God. Your, your income can't be God. Your house, your square footage can't be God. Your career, young men, your career cannot be God. Your college degree cannot be God. Only God can be God. Some of you, you make your kids gods. You make your children gods. They are, they are wonderful to have as children. They are terrible gods. Spouses are wonderful to have in your life. They are terrible gods. And and jobs, wonderful blessings. Sometimes a good thing can become a God thing. And here's the thing, if you keep seeking the things that come after you, you'll miss the shepherd who's ahead of you. The the, the Jews had a saying about the sun. They said, follow the sun. The light, always a symbol of God. Follow the light and the shadow will grow longer. Because the light always goes down, right? And so you follow the light, and it it might go down, but the shadow will cast longer the more you follow the light. Conversely, if you turn around from the sun and you try to chase the shadow, eventually that shadow just fades into the darkness and quicker than if you followed the light. The point is, don't seek success, don't seek the things that life can give you, seek the shepherd, and goodness and mercy will follow you. It'll pursue you. I think about the king in Israel's history named Uzziah. Uzziah. he sought God for a while, but then when he got what he wanted from God, he stopped seeking God. And there's two verses I want to point out to you. 2 Chronicles 26, 15. It says this, In Jerusalem, Uzziah made machines, invented by skillful men to be on the towers and on the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. So this guy, was, this guy was like the Elon Musk of the Old Testament. He made all these weapons, all these amazing things. And it says this, And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped. Now look at those last four words. What are they? Till he was strong. Next verse but when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. See, I I worry, my biggest worry for people that come to my church is not, are you gonna go and get drunk tonight? My biggest worry is are you gonna take something that's good and make it your God? And, And subconsciously, without even realizing it, you've turned a good thing into the ultimate thing. And you've, you've done more damage to your life than if you had gone out and gotten drunk. Okay, I'm, 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 I'm not giving you permission to do either. <laughs> it's like, oh, pastor just gave me permission. I'm going to the bar tonight. All yeah, right, at least I'm not making a good thing a God thing. Right, no. <laughs> I'm talking about making sure that the shepherd is your focus and not the things that he can give you. Here's what Psalm 91 says. Because he holds fast to me in love. I love this phrase. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him, I'll protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him, I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. Now, the last verse, with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Who? Who will he show salvation to? Who will he satisfy? Those who hold fast to God in love. Some of you have a religious spirit when it comes to Jesus. You have a religious spirit. Here's what I mean. A religious spirit just comes to church to punch the card and checks out the, day, the minute it's over. You just go through the motions. You might have been raised in a very religious institution. It was just 45 minutes in, out, did my time with God, now let me get on with life. Or some of you a religious spirit. You come to church for the, for the big moments only. Christmas and Easter. Or the big moments in life, when you're born, you get dedicated, when you're married, you get commit, you know, committed, and then when you die, you get buried. When you get hatched, mashed, and dispatched, that's the only time you ever come to church. <laughs> and it's, it's a religious spirit. I wanna challenge many of you here today, listen to me, get yourself a heart relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen, somebody. It's not religion that's going to save you, okay? It's not your religious practice that's going to lead you to heaven. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who's the good shepherd who laid down his life for you, for the sheep, so that you could have security and provision and protection and direction and ultimately a final destination in heaven after this. John 15, 5, Jesus says, I'm the vine. I'm the source. I'm the life stream, all right? He says, I'm, I'm, the, I'm what gives you life. If you abide in me and I in you, you're going to bear what? Much Fruit its going to follow you. People are going to be glad and sad when you leave because there's a legacy behind you. Okay, now, point number two. Zoom out on the long-term view of life. Every preacher, if they're honest, will tell you there's a favorite point in the sermon. This is my favorite point today. I want you to catch this one more than almost anything else that I say today. You got to learn how to zoom out on your life. Okay, here's what the psalmist says. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Capital letters, put it up on the screen, guys. All the days. Somebody say all the days. All the days. If you got your paper notes, circle all the days. All the days. Because I love the fact that he says a few of the days. He doesn't say a few of the days. Or a week. Or, you know, a couple of months. Or a couple of years. Or, or, or here He doesn't even say this. When I'm doing good then the goodness and mercy shall follow me. No. The psalmist has a whole life expectancy here. All the days of my life will be filled with goodness and mercy. And and so what you've got to do is you've got to zoom out to the long-term view that God has of you. Here's why that matters. Because the devil is the master of zooming in. He wants you to zoom in on your problems, zoom in on your challenge, zoom in on what you don't have going for you, zoom in on the health issues, zoom in on the physical deformity, zoom in on a thing that you don't like that your mom always said was a problem with you, and so you you zoom in, you zoom in, and he wants you to keep a laser focus on, on the bad things so that you never have a long range view of how God has done this historically and can do it for you on bringing good out of the bad in your life some of you got to do this about some of the weeks and the months and maybe even the season that you're in presently right now. You're in a bad season. You've been making the same stupid mistakes. Maybe you're in a season where you just hate everybody. I just hate, I just don't even want to be here at church. I just want to leave the whole faith. I'm done. And you just want to give up. And I want to tell you, don't give up. Zoom out. This is not the end. If you got breath, God still has a purpose. There's still days ahead, and you got to learn something about God. God, and write this down, God is not in a rush when it comes to your legacy. I know this is hard to hear in today's generation because we are in the minute-by-minute generation. We are in the Facebook post generation, the Twitter feed generation, the Instagram post generation. We are always about instant instant gratification, instant results, instant feedback, instant everything. God is not about that. He wants you to look at the long-range view of your life and say, goodness and mercy followed me. I had some bad days. I had some bad months. But I had a lot more good days and a lot more good months, and God used all the things, and he put it all into a good old casserole. How many had a grandma who would take the Thanksgiving leftovers? How many had a grandma take the Thanksgiving leftover? She'd put out an old Pyrex pan, and she'd put the turkey in and the Thanksgiving leftover. and she'd just pile it all on it, and then she'd put cheese on top of it, throw it in the microwave and come out, and you have a whole new meal, all with the leftovers, for everybody who didn't wanna eat at Thanksgiving. That's what God does with you. He takes the good, the bad, the ugly, Puts a bunch of cheese on it and gives you a good casserole. All the days of my life are filled with goodness and mercy in Jesus. Ding! I hear the oven going off somewhere in someone's life right now. you got to have a legacy mindset that you're building something. God's building something. And sometimes to build a tall tower, you got to dig deep into a bunch of dirt. Amen. Sometimes you gotta get through some layers of mud to find some bedrock. Because God's not interested in building you a teepee. He wants to build a legacy that your family can be proud of, your children can be proud of. You know, some, um, I, I, I got kids, and I, I, I think about my kids, and, and, and my life matters for my kids now. And I always tell my kids, look, we are gonna go to church. We are gonna be a church-going family and you're gonna be church-going kid. You live under, and this is what I do, and some of you parents, you don't do it. I don't understand it. You live under my roof, you're going to my church. You live under my roof, you're going to my church. If you don't wanna go to my church, get yourself an apartment. I mean, I don't understand parents. They pay for your kids to just suck off of you, use you, and then they don't worship your God. So, well, they're my kids. Jesus said, who are my mother and my brother and my sister? Those that do the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's who I partner with, those who love the Lord. Let all those who love the Lord say so, amen, right? We we gotta be a people who understand that we're trying to build into our kids a legacy. Well, I don't want them to resent church. Oh my goodness, give me a break. You don't do that with school. You I don't force them to go to school because I don't want them to resent school after all. No, you know, it's good for them. You know what's good for you. you know what's good for them better than they know what's good for them. And I fear that this transgender nonsense is getting into the life of the church. You know what transgender nonsense is? Is kids telling parents that they're in the wrong gender and the stupid dumbified parents are listening to the kids instead of being adults. And we need to be adults again and tell our kids we know some stuff. We're gonna lead you. We're not gonna follow the monkeys. We're not gonna follow the inmates of the asylum. Some of you parents gotta get your backbone back. You gotta remember your mom, your dad, and you are worthy of honor. The Bible says, honor your father and mother. Well, I'm not worthy, it doesn't matter. It says, still honor them. And in my house, we will serve the Lord. And I tell my kids, this is what God cares about. He cares about the person you're becoming, not the person you presently are. And it's my job to raise you and train you to fear the Lord. I always tell them about my grandparents, my grandparents served the Lord my father-in-law up in North, serving the Lord. This is our heritage. This is where we come from. This is our lineage. And you're not gonna be the weak link. You're not gonna be the one that lets us down. And I got news for you. Your dead grandfather in heaven, he doesn't give a rip about how many likes you got on your Instagram post. I'm telling you, he wants your life to be a long list of the goodness of God so that people can be glad and sad that you left them. <laughs> you gotta look at life like that, man. You're building something long-term and you gotta zoom out. It's like a stock chart. I got a picture of a stock up here on the screen. And I was thinking about this. This is kind of like your life. Uh, this is Apple stock, and Apple's tra- historically a great stock. But I just want you to look at this about how many years it just stayed kind of nothing for a long time. And then eventually it ticked up, but then there was the financial collapse in 2008. And then it ticked up again, but a little bit down in 2013. And it ticked all the way up. And it, look, look at this, this is 2020. That's coronavirus right there. And if you were living right here, you'd think it was all over. You'd think the, the worst is to come. But look at how it just skyrocketed since. And here's what the devil loves to do. He loves to get you laser focused on this. Or on this. Or on this. And, and you don't see the potential trajectory after the downward turn. Maybe you're just on a downward turn. Some of you gotta hear this before you give up on the marriage, give up on the child, or even give up on life. Because you're just going through something. I remember what it was like to have kids for the first time. It was tough. Some days you don't wanna live. I was mean, seriously. I was crying, whining, needing something. You know what I need? I need sleep. That's what I need. I remember the first couple of days of marriage. The first couple of days. How about this church? Man, I can tell you, I can tell you nightmares about this church. Sleepless nights that I've had. Hurts, being stabbed in the back, being lied to, slandered, accused, ripped off. People taking advantage of me, even through the coronavirus thing, even through the shutdown. People from this church were reporting us to the Board of Health. People would come, see that I wasn't wearing a mask or a couple of you weren't wearing a mask, and they would report us to the Board of Health. We'd get the phone call. Man, that hurt. I'm like, hey, if we're not wearing masks, what does it hurt you who wants to wear a mask? Go wear your mask anywhere else, for heaven's sakes. But you gotta, you got to be that vindictive. you got to be that vindictive and hateful that you want to come and call. You're going to go tattletale to the presidents and the, and the leaders, Todd? Are you two years old? What's going on? I don't even know if I'm preaching or just complaining now. <laughs> Where was I? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're going to go through some stuff. Some people are going to leave you. Some people are going to hate you. Some people are going to stab you in the back. The strong people get over it. I think about Joseph, Joseph stabbed in the back by his brothers, sold into slavery, tossed in a pit, rejected by everybody who's supposed to love him. And the Lord raises him up from one level to another level to another level and he goes back down into the prison again, rejected and and despised and mistreated once again. And all the while he's trying to do the very best that he can for God. And he gets into that prison and he finds somebody who has a nightmare and he interprets a nightmare and in one day God takes him from the prison house to the palace. And then there's brothers come up to him who are desperate for food and they lie to him again. They say, dad, before he died, said that you need to forgive us. They're lying. And he says, listen to me, guys. I'm not in the place of God. And what you intended for evil, God used for my good. Some of you gotta get that in your spirit before you harbor a bitter attitude towards your mom or your sister or your brother or some friend that hurt you years ago. Scripture talks about bitterness being a root. It goes down and it defiles you and it comes up and it defiles many around you. You know how you live a bitterness-free life? When you follow the shepherd and you zoom out on life and you realize that he's gonna use all the stuff to turn out a great casserole that people are gonna really enjoy. I love what the Bible says in Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. It says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. Next verse, verse two, say it his offspring, underline offspring, his offspring will be mighty in the land. That has been my prayer over my kids since the day they were born. I pray, Father, they are great men and women of God in their generation. Now listen, some of you gotta hear me. You have to zoom out even of your own life and you have to see the generational blessing that your life can produce. It's not really about you, it's about what your kids are gonna become too. He said, I don't have kids. Okay, well, have some spiritual kids. Have some people that you invest in, that you serve, that you raise up, that you that you love. Paul the apostle wasn't married, he didn't have kids, he had spiritual sons. He invested in them. He outlived himself by not being cons- uh, consumed with himself. And I have had enough of the Christian church talking about generational curses. I'd love you to talk about your generational blessings for once. Bible says in Exodus 20, it says, this is God speaking. He says, you're not gonna bow down to idols and you're not gonna serve them from a jealous God, visiting the iniquity on the fathers of the children to the third and fourth generation. Now that's the phrase where we Christians love to get the idea of generational curse so we can blame mom and dad and pay a therapist to find out all of our problems for all of our lives. Third and fourth generation. By the way they've done scientific research about the fact that there is something to the third and fourth generation physically it's actually amazing how the bible comes true but only third or fourth generation keep reading the passage the very next verse verse 6 but showing steadfast love by the way that's the same word for mercy in psalm 23 6 but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. Do you know what? God is far more eager to generationally bless you than to generationally curse you. And you gotta have, a, you gotta have a, 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 an embrace of that, an embrace of that mindset. Now some of you are looking at me and you're saying, I don't come from a good family, Pastor. Let it start with you. He's the U-turn God. He can make you turn He could make a generational series of mistakes turn on a dime. He doesn't need your gifts or your talents or your notoriety or your education. He can do it. All you gotta do is follow the shepherd. I think about a research that was done of two men who lived in the 1700s from complete opposites of the moral spectrum. One guy was named Jonathan Edwards. He is considered the greatest theologian in American history, Jonathan Edwards, he actually pastored over here in Northampton, Massachusetts. And then they kicked him out of his church (laughs) because he preached the gospel. And he went to the frontier, at that time was Albany, New York, and he preached the gospel to the Native Americans. Then he became the president, or the first president of Princeton University. By the way, he graduated Yale University at age 13. This man was brilliant, but he loved the Lord. And he left a legacy behind him of generational blessing. And I wanna put something here up on the screen. Do we have that picture of a, of a tree? These two guys that they compared, Jonathan Edwards is on the left. One From his lineage came one U.S. vice president, a dean of a law school, dean of a medical school, three senators, three governors, three, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 65 professors, 75 military officers, 80 public officers, 100 lawyers, 100 clergymen, 285 college graduates. Then look on the right, and you've got Max Jukes. He was in and out of the New York penitentiary system. He was an immoral man. He didn't care about anybody. And this is what came from his lineage. They studied his lineage. 300 died prematurely. 440 were physically wrecked by addiction to alcohol. 300 were poor. 150 other convicts. 190 prostitutes. 60 thieves and 7 murderers. One man's faith can change the world. But it might not happen in your 60 to 90 years. It might happen after you're dead and gone. What's the difference following the shepherd? Point number three, and then we're finally done. Zoom in on your, on your ultimate end. So you've got to focus on the shepherd, not success. You've got to zoom out when life is down and your stock is ticking downward. But most importantly, you've got to zoom in on your ultimate end. Psalm 23, six, the last line. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. What's the last word? Now, I don't know if you know this, but forever is a long time. (laughs) Which means that right now cannot compare to then can't compare. In fact, Paul says that. He says, it. I don't consider that our present turmoil, tribulations and sufferings are worthy to be compared to the glory that should be revealed in us at the last day. The scripture says that when we see Jesus, our bodies will be supernaturally transformed to be like his glorious body. And we're gonna live in beauty in perfection, in all the glory of God, forever. John chapter 14, Jesus says this in the Last Supper. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you? And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. That's the promise. But the qualifier is that Jesus Christ is your shepherd. Or Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that all things are working together for our good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But there's a qualifying statement. The Bible's not saying, hey, it's all gonna work out for everybody. No, the Bible's saying for those who love God, all things are gonna work together for our good. Or Matthew 6:33, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things that everybody pa- is 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 passionately changing. All those things will be added to you. Or Mark chapter 10, 29, Jesus said, if you leave houses or brothers or sisters or or, or lands for the sake, for my sake and for the gospel, you're not gonna fail to receive a hundredfold, verse 30, in this life, and not just in this life, that blessing, but in the age to come, eternal life. But again, the qualifier in every single verse is this. Are you ready? You gotta make Jesus Christ your shepherd. You gotta live for him. And you gotta lay down what you bring to the table because God doesn't need what you've got. He'll freely give what he has to you. And my boast in life, listen very carefully as I close this series, it's very important as you get this, my boast in life is not that I am a good person, I've done a good job and I'm a pastor and all that kind of, my boast in life is that my Lord is leading me. And I said this earlier in the series, and I want to say it again. There's not a single thing this passage asks us to do except follow the shepherd. What's going to be your boast in heaven? Your boast in heaven is going to be that Jesus is yours and you are his. Series in a sentence. Are you ready? My confidence, we started the series with this, we'll end it with this. My confidence does not come from believing in myself, but by believing myself, to be his. That's where your confidence comes from. So the question that I leave with you th- with you today is are you his?